stand. Uh, it's going to be on page 656 of the Black Bibles, also on the screen. Again, Jeremiah 4, or sorry, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, uh, a space to meet, a space to gather. Um, we ask that you would use your words here, the words through Kevin today to encourage us, to uh, remind us of who we are, who you've designed us to be, and how we should be living in this city and wherever it is that you call us to. Um, God, soften our hearts to your words today, uh, and just help us remember how much we need you. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. Bobby talked about strength and weakness. I'm feeling pretty weak today, on the mend, but I got the stool here just in case, so if I had to have to hit the eject button, manuscript script will be online, so. But anyway, um, we're in the middle of the, the football season, and most of us have already seen our share of field goal attempts, um, one of which did not go in our direction. But back in the day, it wasn't uncommon to see a sign with a Bible verse held up in the background, in the crowd behind the end zone, and there was a verse on it, and it was often John 3.16. That may have been the, the most well-known Bible verse back in those days out in the world, but today there's probably one that's passed it by, long passed it by, Matthew 7.1, judge not that you may be not judged. We'll get to that one in just a few weeks as we jump back into our study through the Gospel of Matthew. But in the church, there are a couple of verses that we throw around and we misuse all the time, I think way more than others. One, of course, is Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse, of course, has been claimed by 
many a kicker walking up and hoping not to pull it wide right. But there's another scripture, one we just saw there in the book of Jeremiah, that's been held onto in a similar way. Maybe stitched in needlepoint and hung on your, your mom's wall or, or printed on the magnet that you have hanging on your fridge. Verse 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, what I want you to hear today is, is this, that that verse, yes, does apply to our lives, but it promises something way better, way bigger than getting into that, that top grad school or adding four or five inches to your vertical leap. It, and it has the potential to dramatically change the way we live if we'll let it. So I want to look back in Jeremiah 29 where we have the prophet of God speaking to the people of God and really see what's going on here and how it applies to us as a body, as a church today. First, catch their context in ours, their context in ours. So where are the people of Judah? They're in Babylon. Okay, if you didn't know what Babylon is, that's enemy territory. They're exiled. They've been dragged from their land. And they have to be thinking, surely, our God has completely abandoned us. I mean, things seem pointless there. Things feel hopeless. How did they get there, though? Verse 1 speaks of King Nebuchadnezzar taking them into exile. He takes them there. Why did that evil dictator drag them into Babylon, into his land? Well, because he was an evil dictator, right? Because of his sin. But there's more to it than that. In verse 4, through Jeremiah, God talks of those that he sent into exile. He says he sent them there. Why did God do that? Well, because of the sin of them, right? Because of the sin of his people. And so he judges them, he sends them to that time in Babylon, and that's the context that we see here in Jeremiah 29. Now, what I want you to hear, though, is that it's not that far from our situation today. In Peter's first letter in the New Testament, he two different times calls Christians exiles as well. So this is not our final home. The Bible talks of us as strangers, as sojourners, as pilgrims here. And we can look around us and we can see evil, but we can also look inside of us and see the same. So we can't be self-righteous anymore than the people of Judah. And we have no one to blame, but we're ultimately here, placed here, where we are, by the will of God. Second, I want you to hear their calling and ours. And this is the main focus, really, of today. Um, but hear first what God's people in Babylon could have chosen. They could have chosen, first of all, to blend in with the surrounding culture and just conform. I mean, that sure would have been easier. They could have also chosen to withdraw, to huddle up, to write things out, to keep over on the side. But God's call here is something different, and it is to remain different. To keep their distinctiveness, but to engage themselves in the world around them. So I want you to hear verses 5 through 7 once again. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may be bare sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. 
for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So what does God say? I think three straightforward words to them and to us. Plant roots, first of all. He says build homes, even plant gardens. Get married, have children, see them have children. Make that city Babylon, even Babylon, your home. Plant roots. Second, seek peace. Seek peace. The word there for welfare, it's this rich Hebrew word that you may have heard, shalom. It's often translated in the Bible as peace, but welfare really does get more to the heart of its meaning. Shalom is wholeness, delight, flourishing, well-being. Shalom is the opposite of the fall, the curse. It's the way things were meant to be. It's the way things are going to be. Author and pastor Eric Mason calls Shalom God's divine work of restitching broken creation to his purpose and design. Jeremiah is telling the people of God to be that kind of force, that kind of force for good, even there in the land of their enemies. We can't miss the other thing that Jeremiah says here to third pray for the city. Didn't we just go, aren't we still going through the Sermon on the Mount? And didn't we hear Jesus just say basically the same thing? Christ saying, pray for your enemies. Just like Jesus, Jeremiah tells Judah to love their enemies and to pray for them. Well, here, now, as I said, we're in exile. And God calls us to the same, not to just let the culture overtake us. Not to avoid it either. But to engage it, to seek to even redeem it, to be the shining city within our city, bringing light and warmth to those around us, to be the best possible citizens, to seek the common good. Third, I want you to think about their danger and ours. Now, that message that they just heard would have been pretty hard to receive because it communicates that you're going to be here for a while, right? Your kids getting married, having their own kids. This isn't going to be a short stay. It's going to be a few years. So the first thing that the, the Jews would have been tempted to do was to just kind of check out and look for a quick fix. You know, any kind of exit strategy, any, any kind of alternate plan. Uh, they desperately wanted a storyline that would take away their pain and give them any kind of hope. And that led to a second danger they were facing that you may have noticed. False prophets. So there were plenty of people ready to step up to the mic and tell them what they wanted to hear. Back in chapter 28, before what we read, this false prophet named Hananiah tells the people of Judah just that. He tells them in verse 11 that in just two years, Babylon would be judged and they would get to go home. Later here, at the end of chapter 29, God talks about judging those prophets. He says they're full of lies and that he's not going to tolerate those that would lead his people astray. Now, you probably know where I'm going. But just think about the situation we find ourselves in today. There's so much misinformation. There are conspiracy theories everywhere. Even those perpetuated by people in the church, prophets uttering lies, eager to build audiences and platforms, prophesying hope in, in our exile. And so many people are buying their words. The church, 
they're going to be exposed. Those prophets are also going to be judged. Fourth, think about their hope in ours. Their enemy was far too strong. This was the evil Babylonian empire. They knew their only hope, first of all, was that God would rescue them by his hand. And that, of course, was good. They just wanted it, of course, in their time, in their way. But they hoped second to go again back into their land. You know, they knew that God's people belonged in God's place. They longed for the promised land. And what we see here is God saying that by his strong hand, he would do exactly that. He'd take them back into their land. And with that, I want to bring you back into chapter 29, starting in verse 10 again. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So again, you see, not just praying for the city, but praying for themselves and their nation as well. But then he says in verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations in all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So in 70 years, God would rescue them. He'd take them back into Judah. All wasn't lost. They hadn't been abandoned. God still had plans for them, plans for welfare, for shalom, not for evil. They had a future. They did have a hope. But you might have caught something about verse 14. There's something way bigger going on than just moving them back into the promised land. God, it says, is going to gather the nations as well. So this passage, it reaches forward, and the whole Bible points ahead to hope that is so much greater. To the garden of God, the city of God, the land of God covering the globe. To the earth becoming the temple of God and all the nations of the world streaming toward him in worship. Church, that's our hope. Right? That's our hope. And so while we can thank God in some ways for our country, our, our, our longing should not be for renewed America. No. But for the new heavens and the new earth that God will bring. But we find ourselves here, by his will, by his hand, and how should we view ourselves? I want to look at our sixth and final identity today. So last week, Jeff shared that we're storytellers. So we go around sharing the story of God and how God has transformed our lives by that story. But the end of that story is perfect peace. And that brings us hope. We have hope in that shalom. So, as we go, during our time in exile, we share and we show that future peace. We're peacemakers. Here's how we put it in cars. We are peacemakers who seek the welfare of our city and our world. So soon we're going to be back in Matthew, and we're going to get very quickly to the miracles of Jesus. The miracles. And as Christ came, healing diseases, exercising demons, what does he do? He gives both a foretaste, and he gives these signposts of that shalom, of that new heavens and new earth that are coming. The king gives previews of his kingdom. 
that had come in their midst and would fully come at his return. And we see this in the early church in the book of Acts. And as you read church history, as they go out and serve people with everything they've got, they're peacemakers and we're called to that as well. So peacemakers, yes, we bring people together. But here we're talking about something bigger, something more cosmic. By his power of being used by him to restitch the very fabric of creation. So as peacemakers, we anticipate and we act toward that future hope. So we don't just serve in word, but in deed. We don't just care about the soul, but also the body. We're not just about the spiritual, but the physical as well. And we live with that glorious future in mind. Tim Keller has put it this way. I've shared this a couple of times before. The gospel goes inside out. So it cuts to the heart. It makes us new. It also goes upside down. It takes the expectations and the values of the world and flips them around. And it goes forward back. We look ahead to that shalom and we seek to pull it into the here and now. In Colossians 1.20, Paul speaks of God through Jesus, reconciling to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So all things reconciled to God. We're, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, we're ministers of reconciliation. And we're not just sharing the means of that hope, the cross of Jesus, but the goal of it all is glorious kingdom. This is who we are. We're peacemakers. But I'm going to take on a couple of objections as I go through this today. And the first you might have is this. How does our call into evangelism that, that Jeff really talked about last week, our identity as storytellers, how does that fit with more of what I was describing today, our call into social action that we're peacemakers? A couple of things I want you to keep in mind. Social action can first be a means to evangelism, but it's not just that. So I think there's little doubt that if we cared more for whole persons, if we loved our neighbors well, that we'd get a wider hearing for the gospel. But we don't just care for the sick to get to their souls, because like Jesus, we care about people's bodies too. So we, we share Jesus, we share the message, but we show him too through our deeds and then trust him for the results. Social action, second, shouldn't be separated from evangelism, but it shouldn't be elevated above it either. So what do I mean? Well, we can join in with unbelievers in caring for bodies and caring for the creation, but the only way that those people that don't know Jesus can experience his shalom is through the message through the good news of Jesus. So as Keller has also put it, evangelism and social justice should exist in an asymmetrical, inseparable relationship. Inseparable, but asymmetrical. They're both important. They both go together. We can't neglect either, but we cannot neglect. We can't forget our critical calling to share the king, the one who brings his kingdom. Here, Keller, go on. Evangelism is the most basic and radical ministry possible to a human being. This is true not because the spiritual is more important than the physical, but because the eternal is more important than the temporal. 
In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 8 through 18, Paul speaks of the importance of strengthening the inner man even as the outer physical nature is aging and decaying. If there is a God, and if life with Him for eternity is based on having a saving relationship with Him, then the most loving thing anyone can do for one's neighbor is help him or her to a saving faith in that God. So as we love our neighbors, as we spread shalom, we still have to share Christ. We're peacemakers, but we're also storytellers. But again, it's that spreading of peace that I want to emphasize today. And with that, I want to turn to our rhythm. If we're meant to be peacemakers, then how should we live? What should we do? We bless. Here's the way we put that in cars. We regularly bless others through our words, gifts, and actions. We regularly bless others through our words, gifts, and actions. That takes my mind to Psalm 67 that starts this way. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So we ask God to bless us so that we can just keep it to ourselves. No, it's that we would be a blessing and that we might point to the blessing that awaits us in a renewed world of shalom. Through what we say and do, through the gifts and talents he's given to us, we bless those, those around us. And we point to that peace. Now here's some ways that this can look. Think about our work. There was work in the Garden of Eden. There will be work, I believe, in the world to come. Let's say your vocation is you build houses. As you use the hammer and use the saw with excellence, with grace, you picture our God, our maker. Through Jesus, we can reclaim the idea of vocation, of calling, and we can recapture the dignity of our work. Think about the arts. As we craft a poem or pen a melody or give shape to clay or put brush to canvas, we have the opportunity to display our God who didn't just make things that are useful, but are also beautiful. The arts aren't just extras that we get to if we happen to have time or money. They come from God and they're ways that we can bless and also experience His blessing. Think about sickness and suffering. We can be a blessing as we care for those in pain, as we pray for them, as we seek to treat them. I think about all the, the medical professionals that have had such a brutal couple of years but keep on serving. As you relieve suffering and bring healing, you picture that day when sickness will be no more. Think about business. We can bless others as we make goods and provide services, as we create jobs, as we help our cities Flourish. As we do, we live out what we call the cultural mandate from Genesis 1.28, where we fill, subdue, and rule over the earth. Think about poverty and hunger. When we help people find jobs, or we or make it to that next paycheck, or we buy them some meals, or help them put together a budget, we point to the day when we'll have all we'll need, all of us, in the presence of Jesus. Think about government and education. We can go out into our city, down in Jeff City as well, and seek to be a blessing. We can carry shalom into City Hall. We're over at Hickman High. We can lead and love and share and serve in a way that brings blessing and previews the kingdom of Jesus for all to see. 
Think about the cultivation and care of the earth. There's probably nothing more biblical than planting things, right? That goes right back to the beginning. It all started in a garden. And if we see everything is made by God and is something that one day will be restored, it should make us stewards of God's creation. We'll care about the environment. We'll care for the environment. We'll bless the earth. Think about orphans and widows. What does James say that true religion is all about? Caring for those two groups. As we take kids into our homes and advocate for them in the world, as we care for shut-ins, for the lonely, for those our culture forgets and doesn't value, we bless. We look like Jesus who welcomed children onto his lap and who cared deeply for the last, the least, the lost. Think about justice and mercy. When we speak up for the voiceless, when we march for the powerless, when we stand up against injustice, we call people toward the kingdom of Christ where there will be no mourning or crying or pain anymore. As Christians, as those who serve a God who will bring all nations to his throne, we should speak against racism, against any form of inequity. Because we, again, we're about his shalom. We're people who bless. That's our rhythm. That's because we see ourselves as peacemakers. That's our identity. But as I say that, you may have another question, another objection. You might say, and this is a common retort today, shouldn't we just preach the gospel? Don't give me all this social justice stuff, Kev. But if that's you, I would say that you're missing something huge. Because that's what you call a truncated view of the gospel. Do you know that word truncated? Truncated means shortened, smashed, diminished, reduced. Truncated. So think of it this way. Uh, you, and I know you, some of you have been here, you, you buy a couch, you go to you got, go meet the guy in the parking lot, you know, Gerbs, and then you realize, I've only got my car. So you try to wedge it into your trunk, and there's a big part of it that's not going to fit. Your couch just got truncated, okay? <laughs> that's what we do when we think of the gospel in these kinds of ways, and that what doesn't fit is such a massive part of our hope. At risk of being redundant, I want to give you four different ways to think about this to demonstrate this isn't just something that's tacked on to the gospel. It's going to be a countdown of sorts from four to three to two to one. First, four acts of the gospel. Jeff talked about this last week. We talk about this all the time here. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God made all things. We sinned and it brought a curse to his creation. Jesus became a man and lived, died, and rose to redeem. One day, one day he'll make all things new. There'll be a resurrection of our bodies. There'll be the restoration of all things as well. That's the happy ending we long for. Shalom. Second, three dimensions of the gospel. Think about what happened at the fall and what the good news of Jesus brings. There's this spiritual dimension. Our relationship with God was broken. And through Jesus, we're now at peace with God by faith. There's a social dimension. Our peace with one another is disrupted. Through Christ, we can again be made one. And there's also a physical dimension. God's entire creation that has been marred by the fall will be completely renewed. There will be full, final, forever shalom. 
in all three of those dimensions. There are two lenses of the gospel. So we can look at the good news of Jesus from a couple of different perspectives. First, you could talk about the gospel of the cross, and that's dear to us here. That emphasizes the atonement of Christ dying in our place to rescue us from the penalty of sin. But second, you can also talk about the gospel of the kingdom. And this emphasizes Christ's future reign, and it's one of justice and peace that is broken into the here and now. The gospel of the cross that emphasizes the means, the path to get there. The gospel of the kingdom focuses on the end, on the goal. So some people tend to just emphasize the gospel of the cross. Others tend to just emphasize the opposite, the gospel of the kingdom. But guess what? Both are needed. The cross secures the kingdom. It secures that future shalom. And both of those brothers and sisters are hope. We preach the cross. We proclaim, we spread his kingdom. Fourth, one trajectory of the gospel. So where, friends, are things going? Where are they moving in God's story? It should be clear already. And how do we work in line with that direction, with that movement? By way of illustration, in the new heavens and the new earth, do you think we're going to look down and see Valvoline motor oil flowing in the streams? Um, will there be plastic bottles, candy bar wrappers strewn all over the roads? If so, why would we put them there now, and why would we leave them there now? To take it further, will there be racism in the future world? Will, will there be injustice there? Will there be hunger or sickness or poverty? Then why would we settle it now? Why wouldn't we try to relieve that today? And so I'm asking, are we acting along with the trajectory of the gospel? Or are we going against its grain? Are we working with God and where he is taking all things, or are we even maybe assisting his enemy? So there you go, four acts, three dimensions, two lenses, one trajectory. The end of God's story is full of his shalom. No, we cannot create some kind of utopia here. But again, we long for that down the road and try to, by his grace, see some of that future come back into the here and now. So don't let anyone try to convince you that this is some add-on to the gospel. It's where the good news of Jesus takes us. Well, as I've been doing this series, I want to leave you with some questions of application as we ponder this identity and rhythm. And they really go back to Jeremiah 29. First, do you realize that you're living in exile? Or are you too at home here? In what ways have you conformed to the culture or maybe avoided it altogether? Second, where, is, where God has you right here, right now, have you sought to plant down roots? Or, or are you just thinking about whatever else is going to come around the corner? Third, are you looking for ways to seek the welfare of those around you? Are you being a peacemaker? How are you seeking the good of our city and our world? Fourth, do you pray for our city, for our nation, for our world? What about our leaders, our public servants? Are you more prone to criticize or condemn? Fifth, how might you be giving your ear to false teachers? 
false hopes are you trusting in? How might you be bowing down to other lesser kings? Sixth, how might you be fixed on the wrong hope? On the kingdoms and comforts of this world instead of this new world that's to come. And seventh, how might God be calling you to be a blessing? And how might you be trying to avoid this call? Okay, so we've seen who we are, how we're to live, but I want to go back again. Again, this is the last Sunday before we move on to other things again. I want to go back to that original equation I gave you. Who God is and what God has done lead to who we are and how we're to live. We can't mess that up. Who God is and what God has done leads to who we are and how we're to live. So we've already seen who we are, how we're to live, but we really got to get to the beginning part of that equation. So back to the very beginning, humans fall into sin. It looks as if things will never be the same, but God pursues Adam and Eve. And Genesis 3, 9 says he calls out to them in the garden, where are you? In case you wonder if God knows where they are, he's calling them to himself. Years and years later, a new man walks onto the scene. He proclaims he's the long-awaited king. He speaks of a kingdom that has come, but that still finds its perfect fulfillment in the future. And basically, the Lord comes again saying, where are you? Jesus comes. He's on a mission to give his life for us, to renew everything that he's made. Who is God? What has he done? He's a missional God who has made peace with us in Christ. We're all looking for purpose, aren't we? It's just how we're made. And God gives us something to live for, to work for. We love superheroes in our culture today. A new Marvel film, you know, it seems like it comes out every month. The Lord invites us into his story of his work to rescue the world. What can move us toward what I've been talking about today is this longing for significance. But what can sustain us is gratitude for what he's done for us, for his grace. Again, if he's blessed us like this, how can we not also be a blessing? Well, when I, when I think of this passage, when my mind goes to superheroes, my mind goes to my wife, who's not here today because she's run herself ragged again. But, you know, she's healing bodies, caring for souls at the hospital. She's serving tirelessly in our community and in the schools. Now she's a CASA volunteer. If she were here, she would tell you to go to the lunch. Um, she's helping those in foster care um, who need an advocate, and I could go on. And this is while she's undergoing cancer treatments. But one thing that she shared that she's definitely learned through all this is she's not a superhero. She has limits. Cancer is made that loud and, and clear. Her hope, our hope, is only in the strong hand of the Lord. Only he can bring full and lasting peace. Only he can do it. But he wants to use us, Karas. Now, hopefully today I've taken your life first and I've torn it down and built it back up far better for you. Because as I said, we do have a future and a hope in him, verse 11. But in this passage has always been a theme verse for the people of Karis, even going back to the very earliest days, and it's verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. From the beginning, this slogan has been attached to who we are at Cars. We're in the city for the city. We're seeking the peace, the shalom of our great community, Columbia, that God has placed us in and called us to. So, Cars, let's not lose heart, even though times have been hard, because the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is with us. Let's pray. God, I, I just pray that you would continue to work through our family here. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for calling us to this place. What a blessing it is to live here. And God, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would go out and we would proclaim the good news of Jesus, Lord. And I, and I pray through our deeds, through our actions, that um, we would picture it as well. And that you would um, just be pleased to um, allow us to be a part of your plan, um, Lord. That, that where we walk, Lord, that, that there would just be an aroma of, of your son. Um, just the, the sweet smell of him, of, of your son reversing decay, bringing life. Um, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen.